Childhood Cancer Perspective. Thank you again for sticking with me through these episodes as I continue to talk about the journey, the trials and tribulations of being diagnosed with pediatric cancer from a father's point of view. Of course, I've had my daughter and my wife on this as well, and I hope to have other guests with me at some point to be able to talk about other sides of that. But right now, you're getting a parent's perspective on pediatric cancer. I've talked about this before, how it is absolutely a family diagnosis. It is not something that is just the child that is being diagnosed. Everybody is affected in their own way, and that is what I'm hoping that we can get um, more side to the story when it comes to my daughters and my wife, as well as I've got several other people that I want to bring on live that would be able to speak about their experiences with it and how it's affected them either directly or indirectly. Today, what I would like to discuss is something that was very, very prominent and very much considered the last-ditch effort for JC, and it can be considered the last-ditch effort in treatments for so many people, and that is your stem cell transplant. Uh, normally, when it comes to stem cell transplants, they're wanting you to be either as far along in the chemo process as you can get, as far along in treatments, immunotherapies, as you can possibly be before they do a stem cell transplant. Now we did ask the question not too long ago actually about why they wouldn't do it first because the stem cell transplant on its basic level is meant to completely take your body, your, your blood counts, your, your, immuni your immunity down to zero. You are basically a sitting duck for any type of germs or anything that comes in your way. That's what it does. It takes you down to zero so that your body can then build up that immunity again with strong healthy cells and that is the hope to basically take over whatever cancer is left in your body because now you have gotten rid of any type of weak cells or broken cells. You've got a new strong army of cells that are going to come in and they're going to take over and help you recover that much faster. That is the hope when it comes to stem cell transplants. And I don't think people um, understand too much about what exactly happens during that stem cell transplant process. So I'm going to try to explain it the best I can. I'm going to do it from memory. Obviously, I went through this with my daughter. My uh, family went through this. But what happens first? Like I said, you have to go through as much as you can with your chemo treatments. And at some point, we're going to decide that these chemo treatments have gotten us as far as they're going to get us. They are not going to benefit us anymore from continuing to go through it. We need to move on to something stronger and more powerful, and we're going to do our best to beat this cancer over the head, for lack of a better way to put it. So when it is decided that the stem cell transplant is going to happen, you are then sent to the hospital. Now for us, it was Milwaukee, so we were two hours away. And that meant we were going to have to go out there and stay for two or three days so that she could do all her preliminary testing. This includes testing her heart, testing her lungs, um, testing on a base level everything in her body to make sure that she's strong enough to go through this process. Make sure that her body is strong enough to go through the process that is going to take a lot out of her. Um, now what what happens is that with like the, you know, the echocardiograms and with a lung test if you've ever seen one it's basically you're put in a in a plexiglass block a box and you are meant to you know you know blow out as hard as you can and, and they time it to see that your lungs are strong enough because these drugs when they're put into you they are tough and it does put you through a lot and so they're trying to make sure that your body is going to be 100% strong enough to get through this so we went out that 
for that, us particularly, we went out to Milwaukee. My uh, JC and then my other daughter, Maya, they went with me to keep her company. We went out to Milwaukee. We were there for two days. They did all of her testing in one day. It was a full day. We literally got there, I think, at 7 o'clock in the morning. Um, they start off with IVs. They take blood work. They get you ready. And you're going to be circling that hospital all day, doing, you know, reading to every different floor to make sure that you can get all the testing in so that they can sign you off on being able to do your stem cell transplant. So they get you through all of that. And once it's proven that you know, you're doing well and things are good, what they're going to do, if you're healthy enough, is they're going to bring you in for the actual collection or your personal donation. So JC is going to be donating her own cells um, that they will then, uh, her healthy cells, that they will then take out of her body. They will store those cryogenically. They will store these cells, and then they will put them back into her body during her stem cell transplant. So that day to actually extract the cells from her body is an entire day. It is a morning to night. It is an eight to five job to do it. And it's boring, um, literally for her. What happens is she's set up in the bed. They hook up the machine to her. And then it starts running, and it runs all day until they get enough cells that they believe are going to be um, ready for her to reintroduce them into her body during her transplant. Now. I don't recall the exact amount of cells that they want to get, but she donated, when she did her transplant, she donated, I think, at least double, if not more, than what was necessary. And we got that information within uh, within hours. Once everything was done, they actually called my wife here at home, and they told her, and she called us and said she donated everything she needed to do. She's ready to go. We will get everything set up and go from there. Now. Because of, uh, because of timing and her birthday and the holidays and all that kind of stuff, we didn't want to do this where she was going to be in the hospital for those times. We wanted her to be able to enjoy herself through the holidays, enjoy her, um, enjoy her uh, birthday, and not have to worry about doing this because she was going to be away from home. Now, when, they, when you talk about these treatments, the uh, stem cell transplants, you are going to be in the hospital for at a minimum six to eight weeks that's that's a minimum and it could be longer it could be shorter but that six to eight weeks is a pretty average time you're going to be there so that means you're going to be separated from your family it's going to be you and one parent two parents if you don't have any other kids or responsibilities but for us it was just me and JC now she was scheduled to go in actually on the 18th of February in 2021. She was scheduled to go in um, for her stem cell transplant. We were ready to go. We actually had a date set. We were going to, we actually had the mayor of Appleton here create a JC Strong Day and declare it a JC Strong Day to celebrate her going to do this, celebrate her birthday. Um, kind of this is your, this is your final lap. You're going to get this done. This is going to solve everything. And then a lot of thought behind stem cell transplants is that's your that's your ace in the hole. That's the golden ticket to beating this because you are going to essentially remove your body of all the bad stuff, put only the good stuff back in, and hopefully that just regenerates in your body and creates this big, strong, healthy person again. But anyway, we were scheduled to go in on the 18th, and on, on her birthday, she was actually feeling really bad. She wasn't feeling good. Um, and just 
overall felt like crap. We ended up going to the hospital, and they thought she's got low blood sugar. So they said, okay, you need to, you know, get some get some energy into you and we'll see what you know we'll kind of we'll kind of play it by ear so we spent her birthday essentially in the hospital came home um and it didn't seem to really be getting any better and she was still feeling like shit so we ended up having to um go back to the hospital in green bay because she wasn't able to eat she wasn't getting the medicine that she needed her body just was it would she was just feeling like garbage we ended up checking in and staying overnight. And when she woke up in the morning, like she was actually feeling better. And then in the morning she woke up, when we were in Green Bay, she woke up and she could not communicate. She couldn't speak. She couldn't, it was like she was trying to get words out. Like it was, she was trying to learn how to talk again. And she could not say anything. She couldn't communicate. It was very scary, but she was alert. She was alert to what was going on, but she just couldn't do it. It was almost like she had had a seizure or a stroke or something along those lines, and we couldn't figure it out. And they came in. We tried to figure it out. We tried to talk about it. Child life came in, and they sat with her for a while, and they were trying to calm her down and and things like that. And then um, it was decided, like, okay, we've spoken to Milwaukee. We've spoken to your team. Now, this was a few days early. We were not supposed to be out there yet. We've spoken to your team, and they want you to come to Milwaukee now. They want you to get out there now. So we've got two options. One, we ambulance you from Green Bay to Milwaukee, or two, you take her home, you get your stuff, and you head out there. Well, we opted just to go home. We were home long enough for me to shower. My wife had actually packed my bags while I was on the way home. And then we loaded up in the car, and we headed to Milwaukee. Um, And we were actually supposed to check in in the emergency department so that they could get her vitals and everything like that. And we got checked in, and we got up to a room. And by the t- we were in actually in the emergency room for a little while, for a couple hours actually, because they were getting trying to get her room ready. They were trying to get testing. They actually wanted to COVID test her again, which I talked them out of because she had already been COVID tested the day before. Um, and it was very traumatic for her at that point. And it, you can imagine with these kids that all these doctors now are, are in these freaking ET spacesuits, and it's very scary. Um, and so we, we talked them out of that because it wasn't necessary because she had been tested literally a day prior. And so we were able to do that. And throughout the time of us sitting in the emergency room, she started to feel better. She was able to talk to me. She was able to communicate. She was Things were getting better. It was like she was coming back around. And it was just a very strange thing that happened. But after that, it seemed to be okay. So anyway, we are we're admitted. Uh, we're admitted to the hospital at that point. We got into her room upstairs. It's called the hot unit, and that's where they do all the stem cell transplants. These are kids that are literally cut off from the rest of the hospital, not interacting with the rest of the hospital because they are there doing these treatments that are going to take their bodies to absolute zero. So they can't be involved or around a lot of people. Um, and so they're they're cut off. That's that's where they are. That's where these transplants happen. Now they do a very good job of making these children feel at home. Um, they definitely they let them decorate the rooms. They give them paint pens so they can decorate on the windows. Like they really make it feel not so scary. At the same time, knowing it's a scary place and you're going to be here for a while. Um, so unfortunately, that was going to be our home for the next 40 days. We you know JC and I spent 40 days in the hospital 
three different rooms because they switch your rooms every 10 to 12 days and just when you get comfortable in one they move you to another one and it was a very up and down experience I think for for JC and I it was a long long time 40 days is a long time and when you think about that being separated from the rest of your family from your other children from your spouse it's a lot to take in and the only thing you have is those four walls and each other now JC and I absolutely became closer during this time we actually absolutely learned what each other needed to get through this because as much as she was going through this I was going through a lot too because it was a lot for me to handle by myself um, because we couldn't have both parents there because number one it wasn't that with restrictions it wouldn't be allowed and number two we have two other children that that needed to be cared for and taken care of so my wife stayed with them and I was in the hospital with JC um, but the day-to-day -day life for us in that situation was it was up and down sometimes it was really good um, and we made the best of it she loved her YouTube um, she was if she had we had a Roku that we actually brought with us because that was something that was gifted to us in Green Bay and so she had a Roku and that was the first thing that needed to be set up when we got there and she knew that and she had the remote with her and she would turn on videos and the TV would stay on 24 7 because it would help her sleep it would help her relax she could watch you know certain things that she liked to watch with her sisters and um, and but on day to day they had a teacher that would come in and you know she wasn't really into school when she was in the hospital during this it was not something that her mind would really allow she they did she just didn't want to do it so that was something that was very difficult to get her to do and unfortunately she didn't really do a lot of it this time around which was okay I didn't really care I just wanted to focus on her getting better but during this the beginning of the stay she would have to go through um, 30 rounds now 30 rounds of high-dose chemo and when I say high-dose chemo it is 30 rounds in a in just a few days and that 30 rounds of chemo is meant to just drain your body of anything meant to just bulldoze and steamroll any type of uh, cells healthier otherwise out of your body and just basically you're at zero you are an empty bottle at that point and we're meant to, this whole thing was going to build you back up but it's very very tough these high dose chemos when I say they drain you of everything it's not just the cells it is it gets something called mucositis which is literally the lining of your your mouth and your esophagus your, it, it is literally stripped away because of these drugs which means you have mouth sores, you're, you're inside, it hurts to eat, it hurts to drink, it hurts to talk, um, and it just, it, it, it's terrible. And she also developed C. diff, which if anybody knows what that is, it is, it is serious and it is highly contagious. So once you develop C. diff, you are basically quarantined. So we were quarantined essentially most of the time that we were there. Now she was. I could leave the room as long as I was, you know, washing my hands and using hand sanitizer and stuff like that. But... I could leave the room she couldn't she was in there because normally what would happen is they had it set up where um, they had it set up where you could take walks around you know you can get out and leave your room uh, you put her in a wheelchair and every now and again we would just kind of circle the building just kind of get her out of the room or there was a gaming system outside of our room where they could sit and play games but unfortunately when you develop C. diff that's it you're you're in your room and you've got to stay in there it's just it sucks but it is what it is but that was kind of a side effect of these chemos. Another side effect was that she had to take 
three. She had to take three baths a day, I think, for 10 days. Um, and it was something because one of the chemo drugs, and it's the only chemo drug out there that excretes through your pores. And if you don't wash it off or you don't regularly clean your body, it will actually burn your skin. Which a lot of times you're really you're really starting to think in your mind like there the things that we're told as parents to be careful of with our kids when they're going through this is make sure you don't touch their their um, their feces or their urine make sure you don't touch their body fluids make sure that you're washing your hands regularly because these type everything that's excreted in in that stuff can hurt you and burn you and you're thinking to yourself. How in the hell is that something that we should be focused on when these this stuff that you're saying could hurt us is literally going through their tiny bodies? So it's very hard to grasp, very hard to hold on to. And when they say that they have to be cleaned three times a day because this drug excretes through the pores and it can burn their skin. But what's it doing on the inside of their body? I don't know. But that in itself is a scary thing. So three times a day. We did it in the morning, we did it in the afternoon, we did it at nighttime. She had to take a bath. And she didn't mind it too much, but she also was very drained and very out of it because this stuff just, it takes, it, it really rocks you to the core. And so we would take these baths three times a day. Um, and we had a very, very awesome nurse that actually made her a bath chart and she was able to put stickers on every time she did it. So, like I said, they, they made it as fun as they could. Um, for those situations because it's very difficult going through this and being away from everything that you know and you love and understand and so they made it very easy for her and these are actually nurses that we met that um, I really wish we would have been able to stay in connection with and I stayed in connection with a few of them but they do an incredible job and we only met in the time that I was there during this and another time I'll talk about we only met two that I was I disallowed from being into our room because of their attitudes but otherwise they were very very calming to her and they were very um, uh, caring and when she was going through something they made her understand exactly what was happening and that none of it was her fault which she and I've talked about that in a past episode where these kids really often think about things as being their fault um, but I digress so once those drugs are done, once those chemos are done, and they're allowed to kind of get through their system and they can test to see, yes, she is at a zero, um, zero um, ANC, which is your blood counts, and what that's at zero, now it's time for this stem cell transplant. Now, what happens is then, it, you're literally, she's hooked up, all these cells are reintroduced to her body, and then it's a waiting game. And it is literally a waiting game. And they would come in in the middle of the night, every night after these stem cells were done and I will also tell you something that we joke about if you follow our other social media it smells like cream corn they smell like cream corn it's a, it, it's the it's the, it's the additives that are in the stuff the preservatives for the stem cells um, but it smells like cream corn it's a very it's a very odd thing needless to say that is a trigger for me I've talked about triggers in the past cream corn smell is a trigger for me I, I can't I cannot do it anymore but um, so they put that in and then it's a waiting game and then in the middle of the night they would come in every single night and they would they would draw blood now she had a port so they didn't have to you know stick her with a needle but they would just draw and most of the time she wouldn't even wake up so they have to draw blood every night and about six in the morning I had an app on my phone 
that it would, you know, all the test results would pop up. So about six in the morning every day, I would get her, I would get her an alert telling me that the test results were in. And every single day, um, you wait to see that number go from zero and go up. And you're hoping because if it goes up and it's starting to move up, that means that the cells are taking, and that's a positive. Uh, the longer it stays at zero, you run the risk of graft-versus-host disease, or you also run the risk of the stem cells just not working. And it just, unfortunately, they can do, that's something that you'd have to kind of look into more, but you can, they can do them again, and they can also get donated cells from other people, but obviously the best ones are yours. So every day in that time, and I would see them, and they would slow, they were slow, and they were slow, and they were slow, but they were going up. And they were going up very quick, quicker than they had expected them to go up. And I remember when the doctors would come in, I would say, okay, they're at point, 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 zero, 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 one. I'm so excited because that means it's not at zero. That means they're starting to move. And she actually was doing really well. And yeah, I would start to ask, you know, how long do we have to be in here? Like, what are you, what is your goal for her to be at before we leave? And it's, there's no real set number. It's just that you see that those numbers are moving up, that she's feeling good, that she's getting out of bed, that she's being responsive, that she's not having a bad reaction to it, and that we can start to, and they will start to then wean her off of certain drugs and certain medications, and so that you can be at home. Um, the real, the biggest medication she was on was morphine at that time, and that was because of the mouth sores from the mucositis. She had a button where she could push it if it hurt because it was very sore to her. And the C. diff wasn't really painful. It was just kind of a pain in the ass. And, you know, the the real side of it is it would give her diarrhea. And that was just, it was what it was. And it didn't, you know, that didn't hurt her. It was just annoying. Um, but she, overall, her attitude was pretty well when we were in there going through this. And when we got to the point where they said, okay, we're going to send you home. And it was... It was it was a, it was great. We were so excited because of 40 days of her and I being in that room together, and just you know really it going through times when it was really happy, going through times when she was just really really sad, and sometimes she'd want me to lay in bed with her and she'd say I'm sad, but I don't I'm sad, but I don't know why, um, or I just want to go home. I'm scared. I mean, she had plenty of those times. In addition to being in a good mood, if we would sit down and um, we would do her. Her beads, her courage beads, or if we would her beads of courage, or if we would do, we would color sometimes, or we would do crafts, you know, just to kind of keep her busy, and you know. But a lot of times she really just, she just wanted to be by herself, and she and these drugs that she was on, these medications would make her sleepy. So a lot of the times going through this, she would sleep, um, and when she would fall asleep for lunch, that's when I would go downstairs and get lunch, and she'd fall asleep for dinner, that's when I'd go get dinner, and, but otherwise I was with her the whole entire time. I never left her side. And going through this by yourself in that situation is very, very difficult because you don't have people to bounce ideas off of. You don't have people to take your mind off of what's going on. You're doing the best you can to really make the best out of a bad situation, and that bad situation is cancer. And the, but you know, but at the same time, it's supposed to be a good situation because you're hoping that this is going to be the key. This stem cell transplant is going to be the key to her recovery, and that's what you're hoping for. And you never really know what's going to happen, but we hope that that's the case. And so, there's a lot of details about this stem cell transplant. You know, the way that she, the way that she felt, the way that she um, interacted with everybody. She did really well. 
but at the same time, it was a very trying time for us to be in there. And it got very lonely for both of us. I mean, obviously we had each other, but for me to be away from my wife and for her to be away from her sisters, which was very hard for her, um, it was it was not good. She loved to FaceTime with them. She would call them when they were in school and they couldn't answer, and she would get upset about that. But she loved to FaceTime with them and just, just be there on the phone, even if they didn't talk. She just wanted to be there. But all in all, the stem cells took. They did. They she took off really well. It it the her ANC went up, which was fantastic. Her blood counts went up. It was great, and we were able to then come home. And in hindsight, I wish we would have just stayed for a couple more days because when we had to we had to actually go back two days later for a checkup. They were gonna they were gonna draw our blood. They were gonna test everything to see if the blood counts were up. They were just gonna kind of you know keep moving forward and seeing if um, how we were doing. And we're, we got to the room on that day, and we're just you know we're just sitting there, no, not expecting anything out of the ordinary. She was actually we were taking pictures and smiling for something for her for school, and then all of a sudden she just started to feel really weird, and just kind of got to the point where she was again being unresponsive not not like passed out but just not being able to interact with what you're doing she couldn't control her hands she just kind of laid down and then she was just kind of she would look in your eyes but it was like there was nobody there and and I kept asking asking are you okay are you okay are you okay and she she was trying to cry but she couldn't it was very scary and then the doctors came in and there, she's laying there, and at that point, it kind of just seemed like she was ignoring them. And and then it got to the point where it was, you know, they came in again. I said, listen, she's not, like, something's not right here. And we, I wanted to leave because I said, I don't want to put her through more testing. I just want to get her home. And then it's just like she got sick out of nowhere. But when she got sick, she didn't react. It, like, she just did it like she was standing up, looking at you, talking, and, and threw up, and then just no reaction. And it was very strange, and so we ended up trying to get her, you know, getting get her into an uh, an MRI, and it just it didn't work out. It took forever, so they ended up admitting us. And she had what was called a focal seizure, and there it's not the type of seizure you normally associate, you know, with with shaking or or, or locking up the limbs or something. She it literally like her she something just happened, like almost like a reset in her brain, and it just all. It just it just shut down or like a short circuit. Um, it's very scary, and because you can't really explain what's happening. And so what ended up happening is we were actually admitted for another 12 days um, following that incident. So we had just got home from a 40-day stay and went back for you know just a, a checkup, and we ended up being stuck in the hospital for another 12 days. Now, mind you, we had nothing. I had I was wearing the clothes that I was wearing. I had nothing with me. I didn't even have a phone charger at that point because I expected we were just going to be there and go back home. Um, so we're admitted, but when we were admitted, we were actually taken to the ICU because at that point, she was literally, and if you follow my social media, there's there's pictures there, um, but she was literally like a zombie. Like if her eyes were open, there was no, there was nobody, there was nothing there. Uh, there was no communication. She could not speak. She couldn't speak or make any type of sounds or anything. She would every now and again, if you messed with her, like when they were messing with her incisions, which she actually had a shunt revision while we were in there because they determined that her shunt was not draining correctly. 
when they did that and actually went in, she could sense the pain and she reacted to it, but in general trying to speak to her, she couldn't do it. And it was extremely scary. And I remember calling my wife when I was in there thinking, I don't think we're going to come home. I don't think she's going to come home because she was just basically there and almost like not brain dead, but just I, I thought she was in a coma for a couple of days because there was just nothing. And, um, and they ended up never really figuring out exactly what happened except that she, this seizure just kind of reset everything in her body and it just, it, it never, it took a long time to come back. And on the last couple of days before we were able to go home, she started to interact more. She was, she would turn and look at you and she would, she'd be able to get her hands to point at you and stuff like that. Um, she said, mom, and one time and then I couldn't get anything out of her for, for hours and then she slowly more words would come out slowly more interaction would come out and finally you know then that that day we were finally able to go home she was able to speak to me it was like she was speak it was it wasn't a hundred percent her but she was sleep or she was speaking and conversing and and stuff like that and up until then I really honestly didn't think that it was going to happen I remember calling my when I said I called my wife I actually put the phone up to her I said here talk to her because I don't know if we're going to come home. I was scared, and I was alone there again. Luckily, we had another family that was a friend of ours that was going to be coming to Milwaukee for um, some follow-up testing with their daughter, and they were able to bring me clothes and things to change into because otherwise I would have just been there with what I had. Um, and it was on that 12th day we were able to finally come home again and they sent us home because they thought, you know what, now's the time maybe to go home and just let your let let your home environment, let your family heal you and let and let that opportunity to be around other people be your best medicine. And it turned out to be the best medicine for her. For us to be able to come home and be around everybody and just and and get better. And she did. She actually, you know, was doing really well and, you know, ended up doing her stuff you know for school and for church and things like that and was doing really well and bouncing back and so it was that and that's the only those two times with her in Green Bay and then that time happening here was the only two times that she ever had these focal seizures and I don't know there are side effects of types of drugs that she was on that can show that that's what it was but it also could be the side effect of a shunt malfunction it also could be the effects of the um Unfortunately, the cancer and the leptomeningeal disease taking over her brain that was just causing these things to happen. Um, and the leptomeningeal disease is something that I'll talk about in another episode because that's that's something that we discovered while we were in the hospital there for that second admission, the 12-day admission. We discovered that she actually had cancer cells washing over her body in there. It wasn't the, the stem cell transplant. We went back to that 12th day. The stem cell transplant worked in the sense that the cells worked, the cells took over, the cells grew, they do what they were supposed to do, but the chemos didn't work. So we found out in that stay, in the second 12-day stay, that the um, there were cancer cells in her blood, cancer cells in her, in her, uh, her spinal fluid, and so the, the, in the sense, the chemos and stem cell transplant did not work. It was not successful because the cancer cells were still, were still there, and they shouldn't be. And I also want to state, too, that I, I guess I didn't say this before, that the high-dose chemo, the, the, the purpose of it, yes, is to bulldoze everything. But the main purpose is that high-dose chemo breaks the blood-brain barrier, which just think about 
at the base of your neck, just think that there's that there's a uh, a, a board and that the blood doesn't go any high. Obviously, we know there's blood up there, but we know that they, it stops just like a wall, the center of that. There's no way that the the chemos that you're putting into your body are going above that wall. So therefore, normal chemos don't ever affect the upstairs, the brain, the spinal fluid, that kind of stuff. So what they need to do is high dose will break that blood-brain barrier and go up into the areas where it should be working where she had her cancer. Unless you're treated intrathecally, which is where they put a reservoir actually in um, your brain or in your spine where they can inject the chemo right in, so it goes right into that spinal fluid or that um, CNS. So that's very technical and that's something that we'll probably get into later, but all in all, I guess what I wanted to discuss today is that, that stem cell transplants are meant to really be that home run. They're really meant to be that last-ditch effort and to, to take everything that the chemo has done up until now, give it that final, that final home run and knock it out of the park, and they work together as a collaboration, and therefore killing whatever cancers are in there and giving your body brand new healthy cells so that they can then turn around and rebuild. And, and rebuild that body and rebuild your, your army inside of yourself to help fight off whatever may come your way. And if there's some cancer cells left, your hope is that those new ones that you put in are going to take care of it. Um, the success rates, you know, are up and down. Sorry, this, the success rates are depending on, you know, the type of cancer and, you know, the uh, progression of your cancer, things like that. You know, we've had several families that have had multiple stem cell transplants because they don't work. They're also known as bone marrow transplants. Um, it just depends. It depends on the body. It depends on, the, you know, the progression. It depends on the type. And, you know, for JC, it was technically successful because the, the counts rose. And she didn't end up with graft-versus-host disease, where it's essentially your, um, the, the stem cells you know, they're they're attacked by your body. Your body attacks them. It's just it's a collision. It's a war inside your body because it's it's a foreign substance, even though it's your own cells. Um, she didn't she didn't develop that, and she didn't never develop new blood cells. And so they they grew. They did what they were supposed to do. But unfortunately, the cancer in her in her case was too far along, and then with the development of leptomeningeal disease, which again I will talk about that in another episode. Um, you can look it up if you want, but that is just literally the, the cancer cells are flush within the CNS fluid, and therefore, if you the CNS fluid that just washes over your entire body, it's washing over the brain, the spine. Therefore, that means that those cancer cells were just being deposited everywhere in her body, and it it became too much for it to handle. So, no amount of stem cell was going to fix that, and that's. Again, that's a whole other episode as well, talking about the way she was treated and how we think that it should have been done differently um, through the possibility of intrathecal chemos or other types of immunotherapies that we didn't have the option. And we'll go over those at some point as well because that's something that makes a big difference in how your child is treated. And I urge you, if you're listening to this, to always explore your options. You may not have the options available to you, at least where you are, but you always have the option to check into them and get second opinions and do your research. I know as cancer parents that you're doing your research. I know that Google is life. I know that what you're doing and I understand it. Make sure you don't burn yourself out on it, but make sure you also are always getting those opinions and never be afraid to ask questions. And also as I close this today, just remember that when you're in the room with your child and your doctor, you are your doctor's only patient at that point. 
where they have to be in the next 10 minutes is of no relevance to you. It doesn't matter. You're the only one there. They're the only, you're the only patient they have. You make sure they stay in there to answer as many questions as you have and never be afraid to answer those questions. You're in control. <clears throat> so I appreciate you guys sticking with me. This has been kind of a longer episode, but I'm going to do more on uh, the leptomeningeal disease, more on her types of shunts that she had, and I will be also hopefully doing an interview with a child life specialist that was very special to JC. I'm going to do an episode with my wife very soon. We were going to do it yesterday. It didn't work out. And I'm going to get my daughter back in here. I've got all the mics set up. I know she wants to get involved and kind of speak about her experiences as she's getting closer to being the only, only child in the house again as my daughter's getting ready to go to college. So I thank you guys so much for sticking with me. I'm going to keep posting these episodes as long as you're listening to them. And always, if you have ideas, please put them out there. Please post them in the comments. Send them to my social media, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, where you can find me everywhere. Get a hold of me. Let me know if there's something that you'd like me to talk about or if you have a specific question about the treatments that we went through or our journey, and we'd love to talk about it. Thank you guys so much. We'll see you next week.